0: Welcome to the Women of TBC Podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. My name is Rachel Wisman, and I am in my third year of teaching. I am teaching second grade here in Temple, and I absolutely love seven- and eight-year-olds they are the best, full of joy. Um, I came to Temple seven years ago when the Lord put in my path to TBC as I was a freshman at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, Go Crew. And up on the screen, I have two pictures that I value deeply. On the bottom one is a picture of my family. I have a mom and dad. They live in Houston. That's where I grew up all of my life. And then I have a brother, Nathaniel, and his beautiful wife, Haley. They've been married a couple of years. And the most important person in the picture, obviously, is my cute little niece, Miss Murphy Claire. Um, She's an absolute joy, and they live way too far away. They live in Maryland, so I barely get to see them. But when I do, I count it all joy. And then the top photo is a very important photo as well. It's a picture of my small group, you would say. Um, We just started one year ago, and the Lord has been super generous and gracious with providing community of young adults, and it's growing more and more, and you just know that um, young adults are thirsty for the Word of God and for being in community as well. So, last week, before I move on, um, Allie did an amazing job of reminding us of how the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, Peter's speech, the people were cut to the heart, and then people um, received the word and souls were saved. And they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul. So that's where we left off last week. God's people were in unity. They were praising God and having favor with all people And the Lord added to their number daily. And they lived happily ever after, the end. That's the end of Acts. Unfortunately, no, it's not. But it was just the beginning. So Amy, a couple weeks ago, read to us Acts 1, 8. And it said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So that happened last week. And then the rest of the sentence is where we're beginning our time today. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So we're going to look and see what it means to be a witness. And as you studied, you saw there was a lot of opposition um, in the context of what we were reading. And when I was getting this um, teaching ready, I was like, what opposition is there in my life? And then lo and behold, um, this morning, my um, smart, intelligent self locked her keys in her car was unable to go to work, had to call a tow truck to come and unlock my car, and I eventually made it. But it was really funny in the sense of, wow, I'm talking about opposition. That's not necessarily the opposition that we're going to be talking about, but it's definitely something that happened very recently in my life. So, in the scripture that we read this week, there is more than one chapter, so it was a lot more work. Way to go, ladies, for getting through all that it was broken into three different types of opposition. We see the people who are opposing the Lord. These are the non-believer Jews. Then we see the council, the high priests, the people who are in authority. They were also non-believers, but they fully believed that they were following God correctly. And then we saw, unexpectedly, people in the church. We saw believers opposing the Lord. So for each of these sections, I broke it down into questions. I needed to know who they were, what were they opposing, or who were they opposing and why, and what was the result of it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go and look through these three different groups. We're going to go through the first two um, rather quickly because that is what you did over um, this week. And then we're going to spend a lot of time on the third group. So these were the questions. Who were they? Why were they opposing Jesus, and what was the result? So the first group that we have are the Jewish unbelievers. These are the same exact people that crucified and gave up Jesus um, and wanted Barabbas instead. Um, So they were opposing him then, but ultimately they were opposing him since they were born. In Romans it says, No one is good, no, not one, in Romans 3. So they were opposing Jesus um, from the very beginning, um, and so are we. We are all sinful people opposing the Lord since um, we came into the world. And that is why they were opposing him. Um, in this chapter of Acts, it looks as if they are in awe, but Peter and John rebuked them and saying, what? This, we've, you saw Jesus. You saw the miracles. Why is this any different? But in this moment... This is what led to the result of many believed. Many turned and repented from their sin. They believed and um, they were added um, to Jesus. The second group of people were the people in authority. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They represent the privileged um, aristocracy who worked directly, closely with the Romans to protect their own political and economic interests. So these are the very prideful people. They believed that what they believed was the truth, and anyone who refused what they were believing was a heretic and that they should be punished. So they were opposing Jesus because it was really interesting. They were annoyed, and they were also jealous. I find that kind of funny, but then in my own life when I think of Opposing the Lord, sometimes I do get annoyed with myself or with other people and jealousy. But those were the reasons um, why they were opposing Jesus. They firmly believed that they were in the right. And I know personally for me, I can feel that way too. And so reading about um, the council and the high priest was very convicting And knowing that I am ultimately a lot more like these people, the council and the high priest, rather than Peter and John and Jesus as well. And the ultimate result was that they were rebuked by Peter and John. Their power was overthrown when the angels released them from prison. Then they imprisoned Peter and John to try and do it again. And then they imprisoned the apostles. But ultimately, they were told, Don't waste your time. There's no point if this is the real God who is giving them this power, then his power won't be thwarted. But before they were released from um, prison, they were ultimately beaten. Um, And in the ESV, they have this reference saying, the lashing consisted of striking the victim's bare skin with a tripled strip of calf hide. The victim received two blows to the back, then one to the chest. Thus, each cycle had to be divisible by three, which explains the maximum limit of 39. One less than the 40 prescribed in Deuteronomy 25.3. So they didn't just go away harmed, but they were beaten for their faith. And ultimately, they rejoiced in that, and they had boldness from that. And that leads us to um, the third group, the people in the church. And so when we read Ananias and Sapphira, we, we all know about it. We all know it happened. But when I read it, I'm like, why is God so severe with Ananias and Sapphira? And Sapphira, my apologies. Um, Why is he doing this? This doesn't seem fair. They just took a little bit. Um, He doesn't do that now. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Deal. Wrong. I was all the time, most of the time. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a history trip. We're going to go back and view how the Lord has acted from the beginning, how he's continued to act, and how he is currently acting um, with Ananias and Sapphira. So I want to give a shout out to John MacArthur because he is the one who has a lot of brains and a lot of smarts, and he um, broke down these four things that happen that has been repeated. So the first one is sinful pretense. What sin was committed? There's always a sin that happens first. The second one is spiritual perception. Who intervened? Who saw the sin happening? Then three, swift punishment. Immediately, God does something. And then number four, we have solemn purging. How did God discipline his people? He doesn't do these things without reason. And in 1 Peter 4.17, it states, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So it begins at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So we're going to go all the way back to the tent of meeting. The Lord delivers his people out of Egypt. They go into the wilderness. The Lord blesses them with the Ten Commandments. They break it. The Lord now provides them the tent of meeting. So I'd love for everyone to go to your favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 10. So we're going to start there, and I'll give you some time to get there. So Leviticus 10 is starting with the tent of meeting. This is where the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. This is where he is. This is where his presence is, and this is holy. It is sacred ground. It is set apart from everything else to make known that the God of Israel is here and is with them. So I'm going to read Leviticus 10, 1 through 4. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire from the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Verse 2. And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So these two priests who know the rules, they know the law, they know what they're supposed to do. There is a sinful pretense. Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, offer unauthorized incense in the most holy of holy places. That's not allowed. Then, who is the person that saw this? In verse 1 it says, they did this before the Lord. Since they were entering the holy of holies, that is where the Lord is, he saw. And then there was swift punishment. Fire came down from the Lord and consumed them. And then solemn purging. The reason why he did this and the reason why he disciplines. For among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So if the Lord just let this go, it really would not demonstrate to the rest of the world how holy and how set apart he is. So this is a big deal. The next Part that we're going to look into is into Joshua. So if you can turn, it's a couple of chapters to the right, Joshua 6. And I'll give you some time to get there. So just a little bit of background information on Joshua 6. So we just went from the tent of meeting, and now they are entering the promised land. Moses has died. Aaron has been, I mean, Joshua has been appointed to bring the Israelites into the Promised Land, they see Jericho. The Lord tells them to go around it and to um, follow His directions, and that the Lord would give Jericho into them. And in Jericho, I mean, sorry, not Jericho, Joshua 6:18 through 19, the Lord gives specific directions to the people of Israel, and He says, "Do not take." anything from the fall of Jericho. This is verse 18. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. However, in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of, of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So the sin was that they did not follow the Lord's directions. Just like at the tent of meeting, how this was something new, this is something new for the people of God. They're entering in the promised land, and he needs it to be holy. The person um, that intercedes and sees this is the Lord. In chapter 7, 10, before this, um, Joshua and Israel, they try and go and defeat Ai. They do not win. Joseph, Joshua complains to the Lord, why have you brought us into Israel? He says in, cha- in chapter 7, verse 8. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So Joshua has already forgotten what the Lord said. And then in chapter 7, verse 10, the Lord says, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. It's not me, the Lord, who has sinned against you. It's your people. Israel have sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things, and they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. So it's the Lord who sees this. And then there's swift punishment. Um Achan confesses once Joshua comes to his camp, yes, I did it, I saw it, I wanted it, I kept it. And so in verse 24 of chapter 7, it says, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Verse 25. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. So there was swift punishment, and then there was solemn purging. The Lord reminded um, Joshua in chapter 8, verse 1 through 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, do not fear, do not fear, and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king, you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil, its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. So this is nothing new that the Lord has done. He did this during the tent of meeting, he kept himself holy, he preserved himself, and his people. He's done this with um, the stoning of Achan as well. So when we get to Acts, um, we see Ananias and Sapphira in the church for the first time. This is the beginning of the people of God and the Lord dwelling in them. This is the first time it's ever happened. This is the first time church is ever mentioned In Acts, Jesus mentioned it in Mark as what it would become, but this is the very first time. So very first time with them the ten of meeting, entering the promised land, and now the church. So let's turn to Acts four thirty two. Acts four thirty-two. So Acts four thirty-two through thirty-seven is talking about the people are in unity, they're with one another, and they're selling their possessions and giving it to one another. Then we start in chapter five. We're going to read chapter five one through eleven. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. The last part, verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, yes, for so much. Verse 9, but Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So, with the background knowledge of the Ten of Meaning and the Promised Land, we're going to look at these things steps that I've been taking with Acts. So sin, sinful pretense, Ananias and Sapphira withhold um, money from the church, God's people. Spiritual perception, just like it happened with the Lord intervening in um, the Old Testament, Peter is guided by the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord, to recognize that money was taken and withhold, withheld from um, the church. Swift punishment, Ananias dies, three hours later, Sapphira dies. And then, solemn purging, the church fears the Lord. It said that in verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And we saw that there was fear, um, there was reverence renewed from the Ten of Meaning and the promised land, and now they have a renewed reverence of the Lord here as well. But also, At the end of chapter 5, in 12 through 42, we see the apostles being arrested, but then coming out of um, being arrested, and they are asking for boldness to go and do the work of the Lord. So he equipped his people through the purging of um, his holiness being revered. And so we get to this question, my favorite. Um, Dr. Stephen Lawson says this all the time. He says, so what? Why does this matter? Why, how does this relate to us um, now in our life? How do we see this? So when we think about the three groups, the people, the non-believers, the council of high priests, the authorities, and then we see the people in the church. When I think of the people, I think of, Am I actually aware of my innate opposition to the Lord? In Ephesians 2, it says um, we were nothing, but the Lord um, came and did for us what we couldn't. Am I really aware of how much I'm not like Jesus? And then, who in your life do you see opposing the gospel? Have you shared this truth of the gospel with them? And then I know for me personally seeing um, Peter and John praying for boldness. When I have opposition in my life, for example, the last three years of me teaching have not been the most beautiful at all. My first year of teaching, I was like, yeah, I'm a teacher. This is great. I'm a college graduate. I'm a young adult. First year teaching, amazing. It was horrible. And then second year, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to change where I'm working I'm going to change what grade level I'm in. That's going to be even better. Turns out my second year of teaching was the absolute worst year of my teaching, and I literally did not know how I got through every single day besides the Lord picking me up and bringing me and speaking through me because I would cry almost every single day. I didn't understand why this was happening. COVID didn't help, but it was just mostly very difficult as a teacher, feeling the weight to perform um, well um, for upper admin. It's just a lot, and especially in a new grade, in a new school, very overwhelming. And then I was like, ah, third year, third, three times charm, right? That's what they say. I'm with second graders, second graders, don't get me wrong, second graders are amazing. However, teaching is still hard. There's, still the pressure of getting our kids where they supposedly should be. And I feel for them. They're little 7- and 8-year-olds, and they're having to work so hard. And so none of that time was I asking for boldness from the Lord to share the gospel with these people. I was asking for boldness just to get up and go to work. Um, And so that was very convicting of setting my sights on things above and not setting my sight and my hope and the change of my expectations or anything like that. And then we have the council and the high priest, the people who are in authority. Last week, Allie um, had a question, who's Lord over your life? And that's a big, weighty question because that will change everything that you do, everything that you perceive, and everything that you love. Um, I know for me as a young adult, Lord over your life, I'm like, there's not anyone over my life anymore. I'm a young adult. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. But reading this, I was reminded of, no, Rachel, you're not the Lord of your life. You're not the boss. Your plans are, you can make them, but the Lord is gracious and good and reminding me that he is still the Lord of my life. He is the one who directs my paths. And what I've learned through the immense opposition I faced as a teacher um, for the past three years is realizing how much my circumstances do not produce my joy. Doing well on, or having my students do well on a test do not produce everlasting joy. My relationship status does not produce my joy. It is only and solely the Word of God and who He is that produces joy in my life because he did he gave me different situations different students um, different areas to work on and some were good and some were bad but in it all the Lord told me and showed me that only true contentment can be in him so I like when they say in um, Acts 5:29, Peter and John we must obey God rather than men. So who are you submitting to? Are you submitting to the expectations that you have curated in your life to bring you joy? Are you, or are you submitting to the word of God? The weapons of the Lord are few. Prayer, word of God, and fellowship. But they are mighty acts of the Lord that are powerful. And then, People in the church, believers, um, do you fear the Lord as you ought to fear? And how do you view the church? Do you view the church as Jesus' precious bride that is supposed to be set apart, holy, and devoted to Him? Or do you see it just like Ananias and Sapphira, where you can try and give and take some things, but you never really give? To the church, I know that's um, convicting for me as well. Of, am I going here to be with the people of God, to worship who He is, or I'm just stepping into this building, stepping into my small group, stepping into my family or people who are believers and just taking instead of actually giving my time, giving my money, my devoted things to the Lord. And then also, um, Ananias and Sapphira, they had sin in their life, and the Lord is the one that um, convicted them of that. So is there any sin in your life that you need to ask the Lord for um, repentance of? Um, That's all I have today, and I just want to encourage you all to continue with what you are studying. The word of the Lord is good. Lean on him. He will satisfy every desire that you have. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that your word is true. It's unchanging, unmoving, and you are holy, Lord. I thank you for that. So Father, as we continue to read your word, would you um, convict us Would we see wonderful things out of it? And would we um, submit fully to you, Lord? We need you a lot more, and so would you make us realize that? Would you humble us in our day-to-day lives, Lord? And knowing that you are the good shepherd, you are Emmanuel, you are God with us in our opposition, you are with us in the mundane, and you are with us when it is amazing, Lord but would we um, submit it all to you and give praise and glory and to your name. And God, would you give us boldness for the gospel, to preach it to those um, who we don't even think would receive it, but yet, Lord, who knew that we would be the ones to receive your gospel as well. So um, make us more like you, Lord, for our good, but ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.